Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Emily Wilson is a comedian and actress based in New York City who performs stand-up characters and funny songs. Wilson hosts a weekly comedy showcase in the East Village called Tuesdays at the Red Room. But you may have seen her before and not even realized it. Wilson competed on The X Factor in 2011 when she was only 15. And that experience is mined for her one-woman show, Fixed, which she is taking to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2022. Before that, though, Wilson sat down with me to talk about what happened after The X Factor and how it's formed her as both a person and as a performer. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! So you have this one-woman show. No spoilers, but this the show is essentially about how you were on The X Factor when you were 15 years old. Yes. So last things first, I really want to know, how was your Sweet 16? I didn't have a Sweet 16, but going to everybody else's sucked if that's <laughs> if that's a proper answer i had about mitzvah i'm when you're jewish you get one or the other oh okay and so i went i went for the 13 year old sweet 16 okay i knew about the bar and bat mitzvah but i didn't realize it was an either or that you therefore I missed Im- out on the other i feel like it's implied of like are you gonna make your parents throw you another big bang three years later Mm-hmm. Or is this the way, you know, your Christian friends take care of the high school party while the Jews get the middle school party. Okay. That's really, that's the push and pull. Well, I, I asked that question, not because I'm a Gentile and I don't know such things, but <laughs> I was curious to know like what the, what the next year was like for you after you were on national television. Yeah, it was, um, it was definitely shitty definitely sucked um i remember uh yeah i mean obviously there's the the spoiler of me not being on the show and it not succeeding is is not a spoiler because clearly you've never heard of me from the x factor until seeing the show uh so it yes I, i got voted off and and that um that next year was bad i i went back to high school and just like I had to catch up on all the schoolwork I missed from like being out in California mm-hmm. uh, and kind of just dove headfirst into school and like, I'm going to get good grades. That's how I'm going to make my place in this world. Um, and I'm going to focus on that. I got a job like at the pharmacy in my town. And um, for a while, Austin, who was my best friend that I went on the show with, Austin and I were like the town celebrities. And so right. everywhere I'd go of like Starbucks or the mall or anywhere like people would like point and stare uh in this way of, like oh, that's them they were on the show uh which when you're no longer on anymore and you're 16 doesn't feel as good as when they know you're about to go be on it and they're pointing at you <laughs> um so that was that was definitely uh brutal but yeah i just i basically kind of stopped singing and went back into school and uh 
kind of tried to forget about the whole thing as much as I could. Did you have an identity crisis as part of it or no? I would say like I had a gradual one, I would say, because I think I the following summer after that, so 2013, so like not the next summer, but the one mm-hmm. after I did NYU's recorded music summer program. Um, and I went into it like you had three roles. You could be like the performer, the producer or like the manager. And I went into it saying, like, I'm going to be a music manager. Like, I'm not meant to be in front of the camera or on the microphone. I'm going to manage bands or artists. And I went into that and that was awful. And I felt like I was just teasing myself by being in the world of it and not really uh, getting to do what I in my heart of hearts wanted. Um, And so I like slowly tested the waters of like, can I still do music? Can I be around it? And then I wound up applying to NYU for just communications uh, and going there for that. But yeah, I kind of like I would say I think I like didn't have a a single moment of like a breakdown it was just kind of like this slow process of like ignoring certain pains and like trying new things and trying my way around it but like I don't know 16 is a very weird age for something for your dreams to get shattered and like figure out how to move on from it so I feel like I kind of stretched out the process of of what I do next if that makes any sense it does, but there was never a point where it broke you to the point where you were ready to say goodbye to show business completely. I mean, <laughs> you didn't take that job at the pharmacy and go, you know what? I think I'm going to go into medicine now. Yes, you were, no, you I- were still like a, the following summer. You were still like, no, no, I'm going to be part of the music business, but maybe mm-hmm. I'll be a manager. You still wanted yeah. to be part of it, even after experiencing like the harsh the harsh glow of show business and reality television. Yeah, I definitely did. I was definitely still, I think I felt very unsure, but like, yeah, no other drastically different field was calling my name in terms of like med- doctor, science, politics, like none of that felt um, like my calling card. I think I just felt confused of like the show made me so certain that I was not meant to be any kind of performer or creator of, of any kind of entertainment. So I was just, I think I just felt like, well, I want to be in and around it kind of, but honestly, a lot of my thought process feels like blacked out in my head of like how I actually navigated uh, decision-making in that time. If that, if that makes sense. How long of a blackout period would you say? Where, where did um, things become clearer again to you? Where like, Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm 21 and I'm, Doing great. Yeah. Oh, in, in terms, you mean in terms of like performing and wanting to come back to that or? Well, in terms of what you just said, in terms of like blacking out a, a period of your life where you, you weren't necessarily conscious of the decisions you were making. Yeah. You know, it's funny because a lot of writing the show, like going back to the footage and going back to in the show, there's diary entries, as you saw. And some of the lines in those diaries are real, real lines from my actual diaries from the time. And so to write this show, I like went back to a lot of that. And so many things were brought back that I think I had truly just blocked out of like, that was such a separate time in my head for me. And I had moved on mentally. And so I couldn't remember certain things and going back to the diaries and going back to the footage, like was like, oh, geez, like, yeah, I totally remember that. Um, But I don't have much documentation of how I felt afterward. Mm -hmm. And I would say that that like six month period after 
because they brought us back for the finale and we came back out for the finale of the show. The top 12 came back and like did a, did an, a piece, a performance there. Talk about and intensity. then after that, yeah, we, we all did like a, a, an iteration of without you by, by Chris Brown, I think, or something. Uh, and so after that, I like sincerely don't really remember much of, of what I thought I was going to do next. I do remember I just applying to these summer programs, wanting to be in New York, wanting to be around it. And I would say like, it wasn't until college when I feel like I really got a clear sense of just like what I was doing again. Like, I think I kind of just leaned on academia and trusted like, if I get good grades, if I get into college, I'll figure something out. And then, yeah, it was once I was at NYU where I found myself socially in the world of performing again. And then it, it kind of all came back. So just as a point of clarification, timing-wise, when you were invited back for the finale, had the initial episodes aired by that point? Yes. So everything... So that's got to be wild because you're in high school. You've had all of your classmates and your teachers watch those initial episodes, and then you have to say, oh, by the way, I'm going back. Yeah, it was. uh, I mean, the truth is, as was the truth with the audition airing, everybody in my town was just like mesmerized by the idea that we were on TV. Like that was kind of like the ultimate takeaway of just it was just so cool that Austin and I were like going to Hollywood and being on the show. And so I think the context of like it going badly and it being taken away from us was not as important as the thing itself. Then again, that's my perspective. I'm sure there was plenty of murmurings about town of like, damn, they really got uh, eaten up on that show, huh? But for the most part, I just remember there being like whispers and everybody like asking all these questions of what it was like and all that kind of stuff. That really is quite the... It's baffling to me because I'm older. So I didn't have to grow up with reality TV or with YouTube or social media or even the internet. I didn't have right. any of that until after college. Yeah. So I, I, I already feel kind of like an old fuddy-duddy just thinking about how people want to be on reality TV no matter what the stakes are, no matter the mm-hmm. consequences. And so even just you saying in retrospect that the people of your town were just so excited for you, even though you felt embarrassed. Yeah. Totally. I mean, this was like, I remember so much of my elementary school and middle school and high school, like Tuesday and Wednesday nights, I was home at eight o'clock in my living room, watching American Idol, watching the X Factor, watching America's Got Talent. I like breathed those shows. And what was so amazing about them was you would see these like everyday Americans chasing their dreams, it appeared, and some of them could make them come true. And as as a kid watching that who liked to do the same thing you're watching and you're thinking like, I think I can do that. I can have a shot at that. And then for your little small town, you go and, Oh my God, you guys are at the finals. I can vote for you. Like, that's just like this crazy thing. That's I think towers over the idea of like what actually, what it actually felt like. Right. I mean, even not to, not to divulge too many details, but like even your father's experience with the show seems completely removed from your reality of it. Yeah, it was funny because my parents saw the show recently twice. 
Um, and my dad was talking to me afterward and he was a lot of what he was saying to me. He was like, yeah, I didn't realize, uh, like there was a lot of things he didn't just realize at the time because, you know, it was his perspective. It was cool. I still on my exterior was excited and it was cool. And it was just like, and even for me, I mean, honestly, it took me a really long time to even understand what happened to me and how I felt about it and how it affected me. Like I, I put this experience out of my head up until like this past year. Like I always just like, didn't talk about it. Never mm-hmm. wanted anybody to know about it. If they asked questions, I brushed it off and I didn't acknowledge it with myself. I remember when I was in therapy, it was like eight months in and I brought, I said something to my therapist along the lines of like, yeah. And then blah, 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 because of X factor. And, blah, and she was like, sorry, what? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was 15, I was on the show. And she was like, hang on, back up. We need to talk about this. Like, it was just so not something I considered part of my my psyche or anything mm-hmm. in my life. Did Okay. Did your, not to break uh, patient-client confidentiality, but you're the patient. Did your therapist ever broach the notion of PTSD? No. Okay. Uh, well, I guess not in terms of like actual, like experiencing a physical sense of PTSD, but uh, I mean, I'm, I, I'll be transparent with you. A lot of my issues and I think a lot of people's issues in pursuing any kind of anything is just this feeling of imposter syndrome. And I had this big thing starting out in comedy of just like, I should, like, I just had this overwhelming sensation of I should not be doing this, which is what a lot of people I think feel even when they have for Netflix specials you'll hear on interviews, people saying like, really, you sure? Like me. Uh, but that was like a huge connection drawn of like, well, remember when you were still, your brain was still developing and the whole world told you, you shouldn't be doing anything with a microphone. And so that was naturally a connection made, but not PTSD specifically. Okay. What helped you f- finally reach a point where you could talk about this and even more wanted to talk about this. I think like there's so many factors I feel like that went into it, but I would th- I would say the main thing is by the time I decided to do it, I was like four and a half years into stand up and I think you know that it takes I would say it takes like 8 to 10 years to really find a, a solid voice. I feel like stand up is so unique in the sense of like it takes years before you even are sure of what your voice is and what your perspective is. But I think the combination of being that far in and having done it and having a sense of my sense of humor. And then it was actually coming out of COVID, uh, like summer 2021 shows really becoming more of an indoor uh, constant thing. And I was thinking of new material and new jokes and like honestly trying to think of what I even found funny anymore. And um, it was like around that time, it was I, I so specifically remember it was an afternoon. I was at my boyfriend's house and his little brother, who was 15 at the time, asked me about it. He was like, what was that when you were on that show? And I, I was like, yeah, I'll just tell you what, what do you want to know? And I started telling him and we started pulling up the clips. And it was my boyfriend who was like, "M." this is your material. You have to tell, this is crazy. Uh, I mean, he knew about it, but he like, it was in that moment where I think we were literally working on a joke of mine mm-hmm. and he was like, this is it. This is what we have to talk about. And I was sincerely, it really sounds stupid, but I was like, I don't know. I mean, it's so crazy. What would I truly, what would I even say? And then a week later, I, I like wrote this 10 minute set about the audition process, which was sloppy in itself. But like, I tried it at my weekly show. And the reaction 
of the room in combination with how vulnerable and like real I felt, it was like, oh, I like I think this is my like this is something I got to attempt. This is a real there's a show here and there's a story here and it's going to fill an hour. I hope I can fit it into an hour type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it was like the combination of just the time doing stand up, like the, the, the odds of my boyfriend's little brother bringing it up as I'm like trying to think of something new to write about. It was just those mixing of things. Where I was like, Oh yeah, maybe this is. And then seeing that first reaction, I was so scared to, to like tell what happened and then just seeing how how raw and awesome it felt it was like awesome. oh this, this yeah awesome yes uh it felt like this is my revisiting of it and this is my retelling of it of course you know going back to those old clips mm-hmm. there was nothing at least at the time you were making those clips with austin there was nothing funny nothing ironic about it at the time when you were 14, 15, (laughs) you were, you both were like determined or maybe you were determined and Austin was along for the ride. Like you were determined to be a singing sensation, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. When was that flip for you where, I mean, you're, you're, you're a great singer now, but where, when was the flip for you where like, Oh no, I, can be detached and ironic and funny and not just about my experience, but just I'm a comedian at heart who also sings. First of all, I think growing up, I was like an SNL head and I was like always trying to make all my friends laugh. And I was always like performing for them. Like when we would get drunk at parties or like in someone's basement at sleepovers, I was like trying to do bits and make people laugh. And I think I always had, uh, and I would always make music videos and try and make them funny so I feel like I always had that bone in me. But honestly, like the, the inner child inside me, my favorite thing in the world is singing still to this day. Like I'm always still singing around my apartment and, and I love it. And so I think it was like after the show, me and, and, and the people I was on the show with, we immediately started making fun of ourselves even while we were still on it because we saw how ridiculous so much of it was while we were on the show and it felt so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, the irony of looking at the show for what it was came while I was still on it. And like, it almost felt fun that we were like this, like rebellious group, like making fun of the moves the show was making while we were still on it. And then after it was over and it felt like that was just so out of reach. I mean, the first thing I was trying to do consciously or subconsciously was like make fun of myself before anybody else could. And so I feel like the experience became a joke to me immediately. And then in terms of like comedy of like actually pursuing it, I don't think I ever thought of it. You know, I grew up in a very, I would say my house was very like academic in a way of like grades and school, at least, I don't know if that was a mix of my parents putting that on me and me thinking that for myself that I I just never even knew you could do comedy as like a pursuit, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And even when I was doing X Factor and singing a lot of it, like my daddy even said to me after he saw the show, he was like, yeah, when you and Austin were making those videos, I thought you were just like goofing around, having a good time. And it was like, no, we were seriously trying to (laughs) become famous singers. And so I think in college, I found myself around comedy people a lot and that's when I found UCB and like I saw that the path was there and that was when I kind of went after that and then it wasn't until later you know seeing what by Bo Burnham and and going to these open mics where people had guitars I was like oh my god you can like Mm -hmm. you can combine the two you can do all this and so that's way later it became clear to me that I could do the art form of 
musical comedy, but I would say like the the point of irony came to me immediately. Like this is so embarrassing that I did this, especially for me since I was like a a laughing point of the of our storyline. Right. But in the beginning, it was just people like your dad or myself who would watch these videos and go, oh, these kids are goofing or. Yeah. So what is it? So (laughs) take take me back to like 2011. Yes. Is it like rampant throughout your high school and throughout your town that the kids of your age were all going on YouTube and creating your own channels or was that just a subset? It was like, it was me and Austin. And Mm -hmm. then there were these two girls at my school who had this like pretty big channel where they didn't sing, but they would like make videos. Like, did you, did you, people would just make music videos of them lips, lip syncing or like vlogs of them talking, like cut super fast and put them online. And like, so we had two friends who were like big on YouTube for that. Mm-hmm. And then like one other friend and we were like the YouTube kids, but nobody else did that. It was like very, no one even, I don't think like knew we were doing it. It was, it was like very, just the thing we did in our free time. And we had like YouTuber friends mm-hmm. like in America, like and there would be contests. And like, so we like lived in this YouTube community, which was not part of our social life at school at all. Okay. I wasn't yeah. sure how, how rampant it was <laughs> among yeah. the kids. I mean, I know that among my comedian friends, like the ones who were younger were definitely into vlogging and mm-hmm. into that, but now cut to 2022 and it's TikTok mm-hmm. and everybody is expressing their opinions on everything. Yeah. And yeah, it might've started out with lip syncing and dance moves, but now it's just everybody doing broadcasting their lives 24 seven. Yeah. No, it's no, I like I part of me thinks if you were like 15 now with TikTok, I can't tell if it's like better or worse, because part of me thinks since it's such the norm of life now is like everybody's lives are online. It like takes away some of the brutality of like harsh comments or like, like because everybody's experiencing that for the most part, like all teenagers are now on there putting their lives online, communicating on there. Whereas for us, it was like the beginning of the wild, wild West internet of just like strangers on YouTube and you didn't, and like there was MySpace, And I remember being like told like, don't go on there. It's creepy people. Like it was so much more like of a dark area mm-hmm. that I, I don't know. I would think that like the base level of the internet now would make it less, less vulnerable to put yourself online. But then again, I don't know, being 15 and going on the internet is just like a wild experience for any kind of young brain that I don't know. How long did it take you to change your YouTube experience after the show? We got rid of our channel immediately after Mm -hmm. and we stopped doing it. And I, yeah, we stopped doing it and that was it. I think we were like, like Austin made a solo, solo channel. I considered it. And then it, we were just like, no, it just kind of stopped there. When did you start making content for the masses again? Um, I think in, in college, I, I started putting like dumb videos on Instagram for my friends. And then when I started doing comedy, I would put like little videos on Instagram. Yeah. It, slowly but surely just throwing out like dumb little jokes or character videos mm-hmm. like 2017 2018 like stupid videos vine-esque type things actually senior year of high school i would make vines 
try try to make funny vines. Okay. And I would put those out. But in terms of like a, a serious pursuit of like I am putting this online for people to see and 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 propel me forward in a sense. Right. College. It was college. Okay. Yeah. And describe your approach today to social media because when I oh, like man. I follow you and mm-hmm. when you go on Instagram particularly I don't think I feel like most people don't even check the main feed anymore they're just watching stories yeah at least that's my own anecdotal experience based on yeah. what, what people follow of my stuff they follow the right. stories but not the photo not the not what Instagram was designed for right right but when I watch yours, I only bring this up because when I watch your stories, you have such a different approach to your stories. It seems like more like you're not in your mid twenties. You're an old soul trying to <laughs> <laughs> trying to make everyone else feel comfortable about going through their day as you go through your day. Where does that, that is, come from? Yeah, I would say that's actually the best description I've ever heard of what I try to do on on my Instagram stories, I think it comes from a little bit of a nihilism with social media because I feel like, you know, through my adolescence and college years, like algorithms and what social media is, has like changed so much. Like when I first went on Instagram, it was like a friend share, like an app for your friends. I I was in high school and you're posting pictures with horrendous filters of just what you're doing. And then now it's like a marketplace and it's become, it's like becoming the new Facebook. And it's just like, you know, you can't trust your feet. Like you said, everything in feed is like, what is this? It's like every other thing is an ad, something I'm actually interested in. I won't see until three days later. And I'm like, oh, when did they post this? Like, it's so not uh, personal anymore. And stories, I think are like, I think Instagram pushes stories to like be more like TikTok. Um, But for me, it's just like, who the hell, I don't know if you're going to see this This is disappearing in 24 hours. And it's become, I think just a a place for me to share if something pops into my head or if I have a thought and I think it's silly, I just like throw it on there. Like to me, it feels like a throwing shit at the wall for the sake of, Hey guys, what's going on? I I think it's literally that, like that, Hey guys thing that I do in my show a lot of like all these, all these YouTube videos, like, Hey guys, it's Emily. Like, this is what I'm doing. Like, I think it's like the 2022, me at 26 version of that. I'm just like, here's a quick thing I thought about, or like, Hey, have a great day. Like this, this app is garbage and everything on here sucks. And, uh, and I think I have two modes. I think I have that. And then the stuff I put on feed is like curated. Like if you visit my page, you can get a sense of what I do, Mm -hmm. but yeah, stories are very much like my, I appreciate the old soul thing. I think it's me just like sharing how I feel for a moment and yeah, trying to make somebody feel like there's human beings on there feeling a certain way how how has your view of fame changed over the past decade oh man i think it's it's so tricky because i i mean naturally i'm still in a sense pursuing it by doing comedy because very much in the sense of entertainment success and fame are not mutually exclusive in a way at least when you're trying to be performing and in front of the camera and and on a stage I think I went through a phase when I started comedy where there was very much that same kind of reach that I had as a kid of just like, look at me, look at me, look at me. And and I'm posting these things and I want everybody to, to just look at what I'm doing all the time. And I would just put stuff on Instagram all the time just for the sake of doing it and for the sake of people watching me. Um, and I was doing open mics all the time. And just like, I think I, I think I 
there was an inner child in me who felt like, well, if I couldn't do it that way, I'll do it this way. I cringe now, even at like the 22 year old version of me who was like, just trying to be online and be looked at and go viral and blow up. Honestly, and it's like almost embarrassing for me to say that it was this recent, but I think COVID took a lot of that edge away from me. And, and for, I mean, for a lot of people, it was like, you can't do the thing you want to do. You can't get on stage. I mean, there was TikTok and there was the internet, but like, you know, it's all this time spent with yourself. And I think it really made me have to question like, what, what am I doing this for? What do I want out of it? And, you know, listening to a lot of interviews and, and my boyfriend's also in, in comedy and he's, you know, having a successful moment right now. And through him, I'm seeing like, what does it look like to actually have your nine to five be comedy? And when you realize that it's like, you still have to work and you still have to make meaningful things. And like, if this is going to be the thing you spend all your time doing, you better like it. And you better, I guess, I guess just realizing that like one Fame is so disgusting. And once you, if you are going to get A-list fame, goodbye to so many things that you actually do like, of like privacy and, and wanting to live your life the way you want to. And two, like it's no matter what, you still have to wake up and make coffee and like spend your day doing something. And so you should like what you're doing. And I think for me, it really made me realize, okay, what do I want out of comedy? Why am I doing this? What do I really like? And I think so much of it for me is like the joke writing process the thrill of telling a joke and people laughing and the thrill of making people feel good. And I think when I like came to terms with that, it became so much more clear that a better use of my time is like, you know, so much of writing this show was spent in my apartment with Sam Blumenfeld, who's my co-writer and director and like creating the jokes and making the footage. And like the joy of that I realized is so much more, there's so much more longevity to the joy of like the actual creation of a product that means something to you versus the the drug side of it because i think anybody even if you're well-meaning in in show business anybody can easily fame is such a drug and you can so easily get caught up in that and i think when you get a sense of it and a sense of how awful it can be it makes you question the side of it that you're really doing it for and i think covid and taking away a lot of exposure really helped me to get in touch with that more and and what that really means for me and what i really want to be saying and doing did that make sense or was that it did and it leads into the the other question that I wanted to ask, which was, you know, you are in the orbit of the, the please don't destroy guys. Yes. And, and they got hired in the pandemic. Yes. After making videos, they got hired to make videos for Saturday Night Live. Yes. How has watching, <laughs> watching them go viral, yeah. how, how is watching them go through that process influenced your own path that yeah i would uh, it's been like tremendously helpful to get the bird's eye view on their whole experience because you just see first of all you see what it looks like you know one month we're locked up in our apartment two months later everywhere john and i go we're getting stopped for a picture and it's like oh my god like how just how rapidly that can happen right and then two you see like you know they i i don't know anybody who works as often and as hard as they do like especially with SNL and all the other things that they're working on, they work like truly 12 to 14 hour days. And it just shows you that like when your dreams come true, it's hard and you, you still have to be doing the work. And so you better like what you're doing because it will become your all the time job. And I've seen that with them and 
God bless them. They are so hardworking and they do love it. And you hang out with them and you see that they're, they're still doing bits and jokes all the time, even in the most stressful moments. But it's like, they're the most perfect people for that because that's always what they've wanted. That's what they want to do. And it's shown me like, figure out exactly what you want to do, because if you get it and if, and if you get permission to do it on the larger scale, that's what you're going to be doing all the time. So it better not be just for people to look at you and just for, and I mean, naturally doing comedy or doing any kind of performing, there's an inner part of you that wants people to look at you and you want people's attention, but like it better be the thing you really want because if you, if God is, if everything is looking out for you and everything works out and you get that chance, that's what you're going to be doing all the time. So that's been like, that's a huge lesson I've learned from them of like, you want it? Great. Here you go. Now you have to do it all the time. And guess what? All the, all these extra people now know who you are and are expecting this from you. So it's kind of like, that's something I don't think I would have learned unless I had saw it firsthand through their experience. So yes. the title of your show is fixed. Yes. Which implies that you were broken. Yeah. And that you are no longer broken. Yeah. Yeah, it's meant to be like, first of all, I was looking for a name that had an X in it to use the X Factor X. Uh, That's the main thing I should say. Okay. Uh, It's going back to intensity. Yes, exactly. (laughs) You're always... The show is intense. Yeah, but so I was looking for a word that had an X in it. I was also looking for a one-word title. And fixed is meant to have this double meaning of like, I'm fixed in the sense of like, I'm, I'm, I'm not fixed as in like I'm perfect now and I think the last one of the last lines in my show is I'm sure one day I'll look back and I'll hate this show too and the idea is like I I am just now able to deal with things like this and look at my past self and and come to terms with that and then the double meaning is the show was fixed and it was always going to be out of my control Mm. and what I thought was a dream they wrote my story and it was never in my hands and so it's meant to have that like double double meaning while having the x factor logo in there yeah well, Emily Wilson, thank you so much for sitting down with me. I look forward to seeing how your show Fixed has evolved and very much look forward to seeing what, what your journey looks like after Edinburgh. Thank you. I, I Thanks so much for, for bringing me on and, and seeing the show. And, and yeah, thanks for talking to me about it. It's my pleasure. This episode of The Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.